Followers Test. Mark has been a, uh, a challenging book to study. We're coming near the end. We're in chapter 14 this morning, covering trying to cover 52 verses, which is an outrageous amount, but uh, nevertheless, we're going to give it our best shot. And What's that? Do I have to start over? Thank you, Joel. All right. Uh, several challenges that have come, and I don't have them all listed, but a few of these that have stood out in my mind. What's our response to the Messiah? Chapters 1 and 2 gave us a very, very straightforward challenge. How are you going to respond to the Messiah? We believe that the Bible teaches He is coming. He's already been here, and when He came the first time, the message of Mark was, He's on our side. Isn't that fabulous? Do you dare trust Him? Can you surrender to the one who's on your side? That's the message. The flesh says, no, trust no one. Invest in no one but yourself. The world, our culture tells us, trust no one. Invest only in self. Jesus, the Messiah, says, I'm on your side. Will you trust me? Will you make me your investment? The challenge. What's our response to the Messiah? Remember in the early chapters, he came to those disciples and and he said, follow me. And he called them from various occupations. And I was was just kind of marveling this morning at who we are as a body of believers. we've We've got people from Romania. Can you imagine? as part of our family. We have people from uh, the Orient. What, what country specifically are you guys from? Taiwan. Wow! What a fabulous thing. We have people from as far away as Florida. Isn't that incredible? We have a Texan or two with us this morning. A Torontoer. What are Torontoers called, Michael? Torontonian. We are from all over the globe. We have even some homegrown, corn-fed Iowa people. Right, Brett? Ryan? Others? Yeah? Scotty? But here we are. All one. God has called us. God has put His challenge to us and He has said, Are you going to follow me? Are you going to do what I ask you to do? And Mark laid that out for us. It was an enormous challenge. Where are you going to place your faith? You really have two options. You or Him. Place it in you or place it in Him. And when you put it in dollars or you put it in insurance or you put it in whatever, it's really you. But are we going to place our faith in Him? Mary Ellen was reminding me, and it was a great uh, review of all the wonderful specific answers to prayer that we've experienced just in the last month. And her statement was, and the Lord just gave me an understanding that I can trust Him. And that's that's enormous. She, uh, within a month, is going to bring a child into the air-breathing world. You better trust Him, lady. You better trust Him. Some of you are raising children. You better trust Him. 
Emily is advising people on a daily basis that they need to give their lives to Christ. She needs to trust Him. Suzanne and Dave go flying all the time with guys like Brett. You better trust the Lord. Right? We have to trust Him. In what do we place our faith? Are we bearing fruit? Is the fruit of the Spirit obvious in our lives? And is it increasing? Because John 15 says that He wants us to bear just a meager little raisin type of fruit, right? No. He wants us to abound in fruitfulness, a whole harvest. Kylie, you got it right. I like the way you're smiling at me this morning. Yes. He wants us to bear fruit today. Four tests. And it hurts. This is a, this is a tough passage. This is, this is Jesus going through the Last Supper with His disciples, facing betrayal, going to the garden, sweating drops of blood, being arrested. Four tests. This is a heavy, heavy passage. The first test, as we understand it, is a test of priority. Would you read verses 1 and 2 with me, please? We're going to set the stage for the first of four tests. Two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the chief priests and the experts in the law were trying to find a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill Him. For they said, not during the feast, so there won't be a riot among the people. Did you hear what we just read? Do you hear what was just said? We want to arrest him and kill him. Who talks that way? Right? That is mafia talk. That's their business. Who's in our way? Who's getting uh, more power than we have? Whose influence is being substantial? Who, who is uh, encroaching on our territory? then we'll find out who they are and we will arrest them or we will kill them. That's mafia talk. Who was talking that way in, these first verse, in this first verse? Mine said the religious leader. Come on! What's wrong here? The people who had been preaching that the Messiah was coming are the ones that when the Messiah comes want to arrest Him and kill Him. Something seriously wrong. Oh, listen, guys, listen. We're going to do it, but not during the feast. Okay? We don't want to interrupt our religious practice with a riot. Can you believe it? This is sick stuff. What kind of a person thinks this way? That's the kind of person. One of the twelve closest to Christ was involved in this conspiracy. And many scholars believe that the reason he got involved was because his priorities were way out of shape. But we're going to get that. We'll get ahead of ourselves here. The big why. First, 
a woman comes and anoints the Lord. Now, we don't do this often in our culture. Have you noticed that? But when there was someone to honor, they were anointed in that culture. Especially if it were someone of royalty. Someone who, uh, who had both power and stature to rule. And these people were anointed. There was also an anointing that was done at the time of death. When someone died, they were anointed with oil. We don't, uh, I, I don't know whether we have a practice like, I'm not into uh, mortuary science enough to know whether we, we do anything like that. But here was a woman who said, this, oops, that was my bottle of water. <laughs> now it's running down my pant leg. Um, this was a woman who said, there is such a magnificent person here among us that at any expense, at any cost, I must anoint him. And so she comes in and probably uninvited and anoints the Lord Jesus. Read with me, will you, those next few verses. Now, while Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of costly aromatic oil from pure nard. After breaking open the jar, she poured it on his head. But some who were present indignantly said to one another, Why this waste of expensive ointment? It could have been sold for more than 300 silver coins and the money given to the poor. So they spoke angrily to her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a good service for me. For you will always have the poor with you and you can do good to them whenever you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the Gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow. Wow. How would you like it if the king of the entire universe said, JP has done what he could. Anytime anything wonderful is proclaimed in this kingdom, JP's name is going to be mentioned and his deed will be communicated. Whew. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? Here's a woman who was, who was marked, who was labeled as a worshiper. And Jesus said, I have seen an incredible value in this person and in what she's done. But the rest of them missed it. The rest of them didn't get it. And it's kind of a tragic thing when you think about it. The estimate is that this costly oil would have uh, taken the woman's yearly wages to purchase. All right? So we all know what Juliana makes a year because hers is published in the newspaper. Um, $26,500, right, Juliana? No, just kidding. <laughs> Think about that. A year's wages. Brian, yours would be up over 100000 I'm sure. But 
Would you be willing? Would it be a high enough priority to anoint and honor a king for you to take that year's wages? Do you realize what that does to a budget? Who's, who has a year's wages in their saving? I want, to, I, I want to be friends with you. We just don't have that kind of money. Neither did they. And yet she said, there is such value here. And what thrills my heart, people, is that the God of the universe honored it. The God of the universe said, she has done a good thing. Everybody else was saying, oh, you're crazy, you're nuts. Why'd you spend that? Why'd you waste that? Jesus said, this was fabulous. Do you hear the point? Where do your priorities lie? What can you give? Costly oil. Worth a year's wages. I'm told that it gave off a magnificent aroma. Um, And she did it, or at least, I don't know if she knew why she was doing it, but Jesus said, this is preparation for the most significant event that will ever take place in the entire universe. In the entire history of the universe, this was the apex, the epitome. And she was preparing him for that. Spikenard is a plant. There's a a picture of it that I got from Google. Uh, And it it, uh, grows and they take the root, I understand, and crush the root and extract an oil from it. It gives off this marvelous fragrance. Um, Placed in an... And I'm sorry, by the time I enlarged that picture, it didn't have much to offer. But... um, Right there is an alabaster jar with a little alabaster stopper right there. And uh, she came and took this and broke it on the head and on the feet of the Lord Jesus and anointed Him. Well, her response was admiration Worship, appreciation. She gave of herself in a magnificent way. And I guess the question is, do I trust Him? Do I dare, do I dare pour myself out for Him like this? Will it even make a difference? And while everybody else around her said, That was a stupid thing to do. Jesus said, this was magnificent. This will be remembered. I'm going to stretch here a little bit, but I don't think it's inappropriate. I don't think it's unlikely that anything that you do in worship for the Lord, whether it be service or obedience or expressions of praise or mercy or whatever it is, all those are are acts of worship and service, I believe, they will not go unnoticed. He promises even to a cup of cold water. Now, where's your investment going to be? Your investment will match your priorities. We did a really stupid thing. We told Benj and Abby they could bring two dogs with them when they moved into our house. Bringing a grand total of three undisciplined, ill-mannered 
smelly hounds into our home. And thinking about that, I said, you know what? The neighbors are going to kill us. The neighbors are going to hate us. And here we are putting on these dinners once a month so that we make a good impression on the neighbors and all we have to do is send the dog over, do his job in their yard a few times and they're going to, it's going to undo everything we've been trying to do. So we made an investment. I called the guy from Invisible Fence and he came out and put that wire all the way around my yard. Tomorrow morning at 8.30, we all have to get out of bed really early and go out and be trained with our dogs how to use the Invisible Fence. What kind of a nut would spend money on a mutt that you got from the Humane Society for a very small fee? You could take the animal back there and leave it. Instead, we invest and put... Where's my priority? Interesting, isn't it? Priority. Now, it's not just your money. It's your time. And time is a very valuable commodity. You only get 24 hours a day. Some of you are fabulously wealthy. But you only have 24 hours a day. What about your time? What about your strength? I was watching you guys haul stuff around yesterday. I'm just shaking my head. Unbelievable. They pick up stuff and they move it around like it it didn't even phase them. And all I can think of is, I used to be able to do that. I could do that. Your strength. How much of it do you have to give? You'll only give in relationship to what your priorities are. The disciples failed this test. It wasn't just Judas. In fact, it sounds like it's the whole gang that got involved in criticizing this lady. They all came to the conclusion that her investment was a horrible waste. Why? Why did they come to that conclusion? Where was their treasure? For Judas, it was money. Other Gospels record that uh, he was the treasurer. He knew what was in the purse. And if bills had to be paid, he paid them. We also know from other Gospels that he was constantly pilfering what was in the purse, putting it in his own pocket. Did you hear the, the story about the guy who worked in the disposal plant? It's, it's true, just a few months ago. They, they dispose of old dollars in this facility. And they throw them away or chop them up or burn them. I forget exactly what. I think they chop them up and burn them. But his, uh, his job was to care for this. And he was regularly putting a few of those bills in his pocket every day. They figured that he had probably pulled about um, well over a quarter of a million dollars in the time that he had worked there. Money that was just going to be burned up anyway. Well, that was the kind of guy Judas was. And uh, he was in it for the money. The problem was that his heart was totally exposed with this test. And I think we need to understand this, that when God puts us to the test, especially about priorities, 
our heart gets exposed. Maybe nobody else will notice. Maybe nobody else will see. We can do a good job of covering what our attitudes and motives are, can't we? But there's one to whom it's all wide open. And He's the one who keeps track. What about my priorities? What are the things that are really important to me? I noticed a few weeks, a few months ago that uh, my Sundays, Sunday afternoons especially, were kind of boring. No offense, honey. No offense. Betty and I were taking naps together on Sunday afternoon. I, that, I really enjoyed being with you and it was nice and all that. What I'm saying is I missed NFL football. Okay? And I have to stop and ask myself, uh, what are my priorities now that the football season is about three weeks away? What are my priorities? Because I know what Daniel's going to do. Daniel's going to say, Hey, everybody, let's all go to Hy-Vee for lunch. <laughs> and I'm going to say, Oh, Dan, um, really would like to, but I, I have to go home and pray. <laughs> no. Football starts at 12 o'clock, right? What are my priorities? I would start with that one, huh, Bench? What? See, now there's, there are screwed up priorities. Huh. What are your priorities? You know, I, I've, been li- I've been listening to us as a church on Wednesday nights when we gather. I've been listening to us when we fellowship back and forth. What are the things that really turn us on and we really get excited about and we really enjoy talking about with one another? Isn't that kind of an indication of our priorities? I'm not going to mention anything, but I want you to think about that. You know, someone could be totally disinterested and then one little subject comes up, boom! We jump in with both feet. Priorities. What are they? Do we pass the test? The second test, a test of pride. Now, Here's an interesting portion, and I'm not going to read it, um, verses 12 through 31. But um, the question was, where should we prepare the Passover meal? And you remember a week earlier, there was a, a similar question. It wasn't the Passover meal, but it was, how are we going to get Jesus into town? And Jesus said, tell you what, guys, Go ahead to the next town. There'll be a donkey tied by the door. Take the donkey. Tell the owner that the Lord wants to die. Blown, and so on. And bring the donkey back to me. And, and what happened? Exactly that. That was exactly the way it was. Here the disciples are saying, where should we prepare the Passover meal? And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what. Go into town. There'll be a guy carrying a jug of water. Follow him. He'll have a room. It's all set up. And it's ready to go for you. <laughs> sure. Right. Uh, that's exactly what happened. Now, can you trust the Lord? Or are you going to trust yourself? And it becomes a matter not just of priority, but a matter of pride. A matter of pride. And that enters into this section. During this time, they received some shocking news. Now, 
According to what I remember in the book of Mark, he had already said this three times to them. But they were still shocked by it. Read with me um, verse 17. Then when it was evening, he came to the house of the twelve. While at their table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me will betray me. They were distressed and one by one said to him, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who dips his hand with me in the bowl. Four, the Son of Man will go as it is written about him. That's the news that had been communicated to him over and over again. This would be now the fourth time that Jesus told him he was going to die. The Son of Man will go as it is written about him, but... Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for him if he had never been born. Wow. Wow. Shocking. Shocking news. In the next paragraph, he introduces a whole new covenant. This whole Jewish uh, Passover thing that they'd been carrying on all of their lives. (coughs) In fact, now for well over a thousand, uh, almost two thousand years, they'd been carrying on this Passover meal. Jesus finally says, guys, this is the last one. We're going to have something new. Something new is in place. A new covenant. A whole new relationship between God and man. And He said it's going to be centered in and based on the shed blood of God's own Son. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. A new covenant was established. And then He makes a startling revelation to them. Verse 27, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. You will all be apostates. You will all deny Me. Does that haunt you a little bit? If I say to you this morning, all of you are going to deny Jesus, you'd say... No. One of them was so confident in who he was and in his commitment to the Lord that he said, Never! Never! Peter tells the Lord, You're wrong. Basically, that's what he said, wasn't it? You're wrong. Do you know who he's talking to? Tell Jesus you're wrong? We'd never do anything. Ooh. Anytime I disobey, I'm saying to God, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm in charge here. I'll do what I want. That's pride. Even if all these bums leave you. I mean, God, I know that congregation out there in front of me is kind of weak people. But even if they all leave you, not I. What is that? That's pride. It's pride. Lord, even if it's to the point of death, I'll be there dying with You. And Jesus says to Peter, Pete, before the sun comes up, that's what it means, basically, before the sun comes up, You'll have denied me three times. And when you read the account, by the third time, Peter is cussing and swearing, just having a tirade. I don't know you! I don't... 
Oh my. Pride. Pride can be such a terrible thing. God calls us to humility. In fact, He says very clearly in His Word, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Because, look at this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. You notice He does not say pray for humility. Don't do that. Just humble yourself. Just recognize that He's God, you're human, that He's right, you're wrong. He knows best, you don't. And submit yourself to Him. Ah, it's a struggle. It's a terrible thing. My dad used to harp on this issue probably more than any other. And rightly so, and I still struggle with it. But humility, humility, humility. Pop, do you remember that? That was the thing that the man of God would be characterized by. You'd be a humble servant. You know, you didn't have to be a big Bible scholar. You didn't have to memorize verses. You didn't have to... Just be a humble servant of the Lord. And what happens then? Well, under God's mighty hand, you'll be lifted up in due time. Humility. How about that test? How do we do when it comes to the test related to pride? We better hurry. A test of preparation. This is haunting to me. It took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know the story. Jesus took all the disciples there. He said, watch and pray. He took the three that were closest to Him. He went a little further and He said, please, pray with Me. Then he went off by himself. The Scripture tells us that at that time he was under such stress that the blood vessels in his sweat glands broke. And blood actually went into those glands and he sweat drops of blood. Doctors call that hemohydrosis. It's a, a, a situation where there's such enormous stress that those capillaries actually break. Now that's the medical explanation for it. I have never experienced that kind of stress. I've been under a lot of stress at times. And it's a terrible thing. There are, there are, there are, are situations that are so difficult that you, you, you're just, and you all know, you've all been there, and your body just, uh, the Scripture says that he was deeply depressed to the point of death. And the preparation that he wanted from his disciples was that they enter a little bit into it with him. Watch and pray with me. How many times did he come back? Was it three times? He came back and said, couldn't you do it? One hour. One hour. When was the last time you prayed for an hour? And yet that's the very preparation we need for our souls, for our lives, for our families, for our jobs, for our kids. We need to be in prayer. We need to be ready to serve with Him. Well, I, I'm meddling now and we'll get on with it. Fourth test, perseverance. When it gets really tough, 
are you going to pass? The old saying is when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? Well, when it was with Jesus and his disciples, the test of perseverance was pretty sudden and pretty serious. I I don't think they were planning on an armed crowd, probably about 600 men came out with ropes and lanterns and swords and came to arrest Jesus. Judas comes up and gives him a kiss. I don't think they were ready for that. I think it caught him off guard. Peter, it says, the one who promised to stay with him till death, pulls out his sword, swings at one of the guys and knocks his ear off. Jesus said, oh, Peter, thanks, but that's not how we're going to do it this time. He puts the ear back on. And they still wanted to arrest him. Harry just does another miracle, puts the ear back on, heals the guy. I love the, the, the way it comes to us in the Gospel of John. Who are you searching for, Jesus said. Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. What happened? Boom! They all just right now, grown men, boom, boom, right on their rear ends. They fell over backwards. The force of Messiah saying His own name. And they landed on the ground. That should have been a clue. But they stood back up. And He says again, who are you after? Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. What had happened to the disciples by this time? Well, they all left him. I remember when I was in first grade, they had planted new sod on one part of the schoolyard. And it was forbidden territory because you'd tear up the sod. But it was the nicest place to play football because it was soft and stuff. And all of us guys were out there playing. And the patrol guy came by. Remember those guys? They always had belts like... Anyway, school patrol kid. He was a sixth grader. Hey, guys, come on! And all us first graders, oh, oh, oh. So we ran over there. He said, you're all going to the office. You're playing on the new grass. Oh, man. I could, you know, my life flash... No. So he starts parading us down the hall. And this is, this, this is me, the disciple, Okay. Here's this guy, this patrol boy, and we were all instructed to follow him to the office. First boy's bathroom that we went by. I slipped off in there. Don't know what happened to the rest of them, but I... I slipped away. And that's what I think of, you know. Here's this crowd gathered around Jesus, and where are the disciples? One of them standing with a sword, and then he puts it away and runs into the men's room. Okay? Perseverance. Recorded here, there was a young man who they grabbed, but he was wrapped up in his robe and he just slipped out of it and ran off naked. Good good reason to believe that it was the fellow who was writing this book. This young man, Mark. Before tests, Four failures. But even in all of this failure, we want to end with a message of hope.
Look what the Lord Jesus said. It's prophesied in Scripture. Uh, the reference is Zechariah 13.7, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Where's the hope? His next phrase, after I have risen. In the midst of all that failure, Jesus is saying, hey guys, you can run now, but after I've risen, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to champ and I'll gather you again. And we'll start all over. And this time I'll fill you with power from the Holy Spirit. And this time I'll, I'll, I'll give you that comfort and that power that will never leave you. And now you can pass the tests. Now you can do it. And for generations He's been saying to His people, you can do it. You can pass the test. And the challenge to us this morning, I think, is are we going to rely on us? Are we going to rely on Him? Because if we rely on us, we'll fail. We'll fail all four tests. But if we rely on the Spirit of God, the Scripture will call us more than conquerors. Let's pray. Father, make Your Word real in our lives. We have these tests every day. To the extent that we uh, walk in the flesh, we fail. And we confess that to You and acknowledge that uh, that's a sad thing. But God, we want to pass. We want to be successful. We want to use Your Holy Spirit's power to make our lives really, really count. And we ask Your help with this in Jesus' name for Your sake. Amen.